Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We adore him. He is the focus of our worship today. He speaks to us through his words. We've already prayed together. Do you realize you just prayed together? When you said, speak, O Lord, that's a prayer. And I believe God will answer that prayer today. So in your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you follow along as I read from the Father's love letter to us. His word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you, may, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless the reading of his word. We call it Anniversary Sunday in order to help us commemorate God's faithfulness through these years. And um, the 89th anniversary means that going all the way back to 1931 up until today, we note the fact that God has been faithful to us. And uh, we're rejoicing in that and we're celebrating today. And uh, today... Um, Two challenging chapters come to our attention. We just read from one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to get to that, but I'd like you to hold your place in your Bible there, but then I'd also like you to turn to Lamentations chapter 3. I'd like these two um, chapters to come to our attention today, especially on this anniversary Sunday. So Lamentations chapter 3 we'll consider first and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 we'll come back to on this special Sunday together. And um, we'll find here in this text two complementary truths that give us reason to celebrate. 
on this anniversary Sunday. Anniversary Sunday is a good day to celebrate, isn't it? And we have reasons to celebrate. Uh, even going all the way back uh, to 1931, we think about uh, God's faithfulness. This church started with a passion for true doctrine, quite literally. That's why this church was formed uh, out of a different church, frankly. The, the church, was, the pastor was being um, challenged about the church being able to maintain the doctrinal purity of the church. And so the pastor and a number of people in one particular church then, then uh, pulled out and started this church in an effort to maintain and provide uh, for our community, the true doctrine of God's word. That was the genesis of this church starting all the way back in 1931. And continuing through these years, we can think about uh, God's faithfulness in many things, in building that first church building over on Columbus Avenue during the Depression, and hardly anybody in the church had a job, but the men with their own hands forming the block and building the building, the actual structure in which the church met. Uh, we are the church, of course, but the church meets in various places, and, and that was a, a great achievement to be able to f find a place and build a place to actually meet. And uh, then as things went on, in 1970, moving to this East Perkins uh, location and building this building and the step of faith it was for the congregation to trust God and, and for many people to sacrifice their vacation money, sacrifice their grocery money, sacrifice themselves, that they would be able to give so generously. They could go, they could meet the ongoing work of the day-to-day -day operation of the church and build a new building. That's a milestone. That's an incredible thing to, even today, think about from 1970. We're benefiting today from the faith that those people exercised in God, the sacrifice that they made on two acres of land. Eventually, it was five acres of land. In 1989, the Family Life Center was built with a great step of faith. There wasn't enough money to do that, but this church stepped out in faith. There's a lot to celebrate in God's giving us that platform and consequently to be able to say that the Lord has blessed and we had that opportunity. Then we went from five acres to 15 acres as a step of faith when the economy wasn't good, when it didn't seem like a reasonable thing in many ways, but the opportunity was there and consequently 15 acres uh, in addition to the Family Life Center being built. And then and then ultimately, what was that, seven, eight years ago, uh, we built the new addition to this building and uh, you know, a million dollars. How could we possibly come up with a million dollars in addition to what we we're already giving to day-to-day uh, -day opera? How could that possibly be? And yet, we trusted God together. God was faithful. There's a lot of reason to celebrate, e even in brick-and-mortar stories, of how you, a congregation of people, rallying around the true doctrine of God's word, always saying we want our community to have a place where they can come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and on and on through the generations. This church is celebrating today um, all of that, certainly those good things. But, but these two chapters that I've selected for us today help us to highlight 
these two very important things from Lamentations chapter 3, God's faithfulness. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the church's usefulness in God's plan and program. And we want to be able today to highlight and feature both of those wonderful truths. Let's begin in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, and here we see God's faithfulness. I'm reading just from that familiar part of the chapter, beginning in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. At the end of our service today, we're going to sing that well-known hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, on our 89th anniversary year. We're going to recall this passage of Scripture in Lamentations through that song. We're going to be reminded, as uh, the church through many generations now singing that particular hymn, of God's great faithfulness to His people, Old Testament, New Testament, the nation of Israel and the church today, God's faithfulness through the generations. We are highlighting that. Thomas Chisholm wrote that hymn that has been a blessing to the church now for many, many years. A lot of hymns, like, for instance, Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, a lot of hymns come in the midst of a crisis moment. You may recall the story of the tragic death of uh, Spafford's children in a shipwreck over the Atlantic Ocean and in uh, Coming up then with the lyrics of this song, It Is Well With My Soul. There are other hymns in our hymn book and that we often sing that don't have a dramatic story behind them. Story, uh, words and lyrics that come to a song uh, from the normal routine of everyday work and life and the discipline of doing work. Thomas Chisholm wrote, Great is Thy Faithfulness, more along that line of experience, the routine of the day. Chisholm was born in a simple log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky, 1866. Not going to high school or a college or any of those kinds of things in those days, but becoming a school teacher himself at 16, and then later entering the newspaper business, and then spending even a couple of years as the pastor of a church, but then because of health quickly uh, out of that realm and becoming an insurance salesman <laughs> all of the life of his career. But what did he do in his evenings with his off time? What did he do uh, as a matter of course in the routine of life? He wrote poems. Poems inspired by lyrics from the Word of God. And we sing one of his poems that he pinned and sent off to a friend that was at the Moody Bible Institute who then got it to the Billy Graham uh, uh, Evangelistic Association and uh, through uh, Beverly Shea and a number of others, a song like Great as Thy Faithfulness became world famous from this little, simple, log cabin, uneducated, formally kind of a guy who reading 
Lamentations chapter 3 put down on paper, you know what? God's faithfulness is great, isn't it? And so we sing. You know, this chapter uh, comes to us in the midst of a war. Uh, you, You recall what Lamentations is, right? Lamentations, the whole book, is a lament. It's sorrowful. It's weeping. Jeremiah writes, really. It's Jeremiah, then Lamentations. And really, the background is the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. This was war, let me remind you. This was an act of war. The Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, coming and laying siege to Jerusalem for two years. And you know what that means? This lament, this lamentation is a sense of recalling the battle of Jerusalem. The battle of Jerusalem, which was a battle that started as a siege for two years so that when the Babylonian Empire comes, everybody from around the surrounding areas comes within the walls of the city of Jerusalem for safety. And what do they do? Well, the enemy encircles around the the city and doesn't let anybody come in or go out. And what does that ultimately mean? If you can't come in and go out eventually and you're in the walls of a city, that means you eventually stop eating. Okay, all the crops, all the food, they're out there. You eventually stop eating, you stop drinking. You, you start, and the people inside the walls start dying. And eventually, oh, the, the battle strategy is you just wait it out. And what will the people inside the walls eventually start doing? They'll, they'll, there'll be disease, there'll be death, there'll be cannibalism. They'll eventually begin throwing the bodies of the people inside the gates over the wall, and they'll just be dumping them over the wall, and they'll start eating each other. And the disease will be so bad, and that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what's being lamented, that awful battle. We, we think of battles these days. We just had the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima, yeah, some of you are plugged into your history. Uh, I'm plugged into it by virtue of my dad's New Testament that he carried on his naval ship, the USS Vicksburg, in the Battle of Iwo Jima. And uh, his notation here about the, the Battle of Iwo Jima that he wrote under 2 Thessalonians in his New Testament that he carried in his seaman jacket on board his ship, uh, the first bombardment starting, and he indicates the date here in 1945 when bombardment first started. Dad was a gunner on the ship, eventually the helmsman navigating the ship under the captain's directions. And uh, Dad, uh, you know, the war stories, injuries on board, Dad uh, noted here in Philippians that he had surgery on board ship from injuries received. He called it more of a butcher shop than he called it an operation field there, but um, uh, surgery that had to be redone once he got back to land. But um, the Battle of Iwo Jima, one of those deciding battles that was... uh, pivotal in the turn of events and 
victory and defeat and all of the rest. It was in the midst of that kind of battle that the writer of Lamentations brings to our attention what? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? We're literally eating our children behind the walls of this city. The disease is rampant. There's no food. People are dying in the streets, literally. And yet, the author uses an acrostic in the the 66 verses of this important chapter in the middle of the Bible here. 66 verses, an acrostic poem. If we were to compare it to the English language and the English alphabet, in Hebrew there are 22 letters. And it would be like having A, B, C, D in the English language, each of these verses starting with A, and to have three lines start with A, then three lines start with B, and three more lines with C, three more lines D, and so through the whole alphabet, 22 in the Hebrew alphabet, consequently 66 verses, a masterpiece of literature, and this ordered linear structure is in stark contrast to the chaos and the confusion that the city and the people were suffering and experiencing. And it was all, get this, look at me, all at the hand of God. He was using the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar to bring his own people to their knees in judgment. Jeremiah is lamenting what they're having to go through in order to wake up to the demands of a holy God. And what does he say? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Wait a minute. Food has come to an end. Water has come to an end. Life itself has come to an end. We're losing this battle, and they did lose this battle. The whole city was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar eventually, after the siege, came in, destroyed it, literally burned it, destroyed it, carried the remaining people that were living off to the Babylonian captivity. And yet the writer wrote, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's the one thing that people don't have in that day? What's the one thing they didn't have? They were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. They had been in siege all this time. They were quite literally dying every day. What didn't they have? Hope. And yet, what does he say in the middle of this masterpiece of literature? Therefore, I will hope in him. How could he possibly say it? Hope for the hurting. That's what Lamentations 3 is. We've sung in two or three of our songs today the fact that we have hope. But we don't have hope merely because of our intelligence. We don't have hope merely because of our wealth as a nation. 
We don't have hope merely because we've got more atomic bombs than the other guys do. Hope for the hurting comes. What? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's the conclusion. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's learn four lessons for the church in 2020 from Lamentations chapter 3. Number one, God has a plan and is in control. It'd be easy to doubt that in the midst of a famine, pestilence, disease, death, an impending army that's killing you day in and day out. It'd be easy to doubt that. You see, we... Oh, we sometimes affirm the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. When everything's going, as soon as the stock market goes down or there's a virus spreading, oh, now we're all up in arms wondering if God's good anymore. Is there any hope or not? Aren't we so fickle? God has a plan and is in control. Number two. And that's, you know, Romans 8, 28. You hardly have to bring the New Testament in to, to highlight for us again that wonderful truth. But it, it brings to bear what the lamentations of Lamentations chapter 3 tell us. We know that for those who love God and that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. There's a New Testament window into this Lamentations Number two, God chastens those he loves. God's people had neglected God and his rules and his plan. They had neglected it. And so what did God allow to happen? He used Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king and a pagan army, to do the worst thing an army can do to people, decimate them, enslave them. It was the worst of the worst. I, I'm, I'm not even, you can read the history books. It was awful. The worst kind of inhumane treatment of a hum, other human beings. You think what the Japanese did to the uh, American soldiers, and you saw some of that on the specials about Iwo Jima. You, you, the decapitations, the, uh, you, you, nothing compared to what the history books tell us about this siege and battle. And yet, what does Hebrews 12 6 say, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Number three, hardships strengthen us. Was God just mad? Was he just angry? He's just venting up there in heaven? Well, you don't do what I'm telling you? Watch what I do. Is that, is that the attitude? Of course not. He disciplines in love those he loves, and that discipline brings us back around and strengthens us. After you have suffered a little while, 1 Peter 5 tells us, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The church hasn't always had it easy, has it? 
the fact that we've been around for 89 years is just a, a short time of the history of the church since New Testament times, since the day of Pentecost when the church began under the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. The church has been through a lot. We celebrate our part of that story, the little snippet that Calvary Baptist Church has been of this big, long story of Christ's church. But hardships that the Lord allows us to experience strengthen us for our role in God's redemptive plan. And number four, hope rises from the rubble. Quite literally, in Jerusalem that day, they were experiencing the rubble of it. And yet, therefore, I will hope in the Lord. That's what we've got to see from Lamentations. When we sing in a moment, great is thy faithfulness, let's be affirming the fact that hope rises from the rubble, sometimes the rubble of my own individual experience of life, sometimes the rubble even of a whole nation's experience, sometimes it's a worldwide issue, but the fact is we've got brokenness that we all experience in one measure or another. And hope in the midst of that says that we trust that God is faithful in the midst of it all. That's Lamentations chapter 3. God's faithfulness even in the midst of all of that. But there are two complementary truths that give us reason to celebrate. Not only God's faithfulness... And that'd be enough to just dwell on that. That'd that'd be perfectly appropriate to sing that song and go home and and be reveling in the faithfulness of God. But let let me give you the compliment to that truth, that God is at work. God has a sovereign plan, and it's an eternal plan, and it's overarching, and it's Old Testament as well as New Testament. It's the children of Israel, and it's the church. And yes, God is faithful through all of that, but get this complimentary truth. The church's usefulness in the midst of God's faithfulness. Let's let's see those two matched together as we turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where we started. 1 chapter 1. There is hope in the midst of our trial, our hardship. Yes, there is. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that there's work for the faithful to do even when it's difficult. Even when it's difficult, there's work for the church to do in light of God's faithfulness. It's not as if God's faithfulness is all that matters. There's a complementary truth to that is that we have something to do in response to the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the eternal plan of God. And I want us to see them both clearly today. Work for the faithful. And here's what it says. Uh, Paul, writing to the believers there in Thessalonica, he says, I'm remembering before our God and Father your, and here's the words, work of love. Your labor of love. uh, Work of faith. Labor of love and steadfastness. And there's that word again. Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, down in verse 7, he says, You became an example to all the believers in other parts of the world, quite literally, because you were doing it right. You became an example for other people to carry out the plan and purpose 
faithfully like God had called us to do, and you as a church family, not just you individually, but you as a collection of individual saints called the church, you are working faithfully, and it becomes an example to the whole church, even beyond you. So what would be three lessons for the church in 2020 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Here's what I want to highlight today. First of all is this. We thank God for faithful workers. God is faithful, yes, and great is his faithfulness. But let me also say this, and this is also just as biblical to say, that we thank God for workers who, in response to God's faithfulness, are themselves faithful. And that, the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in both regeneration in the life of a believer and continuation in the life of the believer. I don't just start down the path of walking with God, I continue down it. And an anniversary Sunday like today is a, is a celebration of both of those truths. God's great faithfulness to us and the faithfulness of the people who, realizing it, they themselves then being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit can themselves also now be faithful doctrinally and practically in this whole business of sanctification, being set apart unto the Lord and being useful to his work. Our um, Christian Education Committee, uh, just, just, just in the last two or three or four weeks, have been giving little treats, I think, out to the workers. Some of the workers, even on Sunday morning, I've seen some little refreshments set up over here in the nursery check-in area and down in some of the other classrooms. I think Cindy's been walking around with a cookie or a muffin or a something. And we've been saying, thank you for your faithfulness. In other words, you're a reflection of the faithfulness of God. And we acknowledge that around here. Thank you for being that Sunday school teacher year in and year out. Thank you for living a godly life, mom and dad, as an example to your children that it really can be done in 2020. Thank you, other teenagers in the youth group going to school, walking down the hallways, getting into your locker, going to your classroom, and being faithful to God there, and being an example to other teenagers that they can do that too. We thank God for faithful workers in and out throughout the life, not only just in the organizational life of what we try to plan and prepare and do here to build one another up on our most holy faith, not only here, but out there in our everyday lives. Thank God for faithful workers like you. And we're built and we're acknowledging on a Sunday like today that we're, we're not the first ones to do that. We've seen the fact that it's, it's been our grandparents and, and their parents even, who have also done that. And we're acknowledging the fact that we, like them, are following in that train of people. We thank God for faithful workers, and we pray for God's help for those workers. Paul acknowledged among his workers in Thessalonica, oh, look, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfast love, I want to thank you. I think Paul was passing out treats as he wrote this little letter. He was, this is a thank you note for the hard work and faithfulness of the believers of the church back in that day. That's kind of what I'm saying. And what did he say in the, the words just before that? Mentioning you in our prayers. We pray 
for God's help that he would enable us to be faithful in our labor of faith, our, our work of faith, our labor of love. All of that comes because we ask God, listen, God, I can't do it. Uh, I'd, 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 I would naturally put other priorities first. But Lord, help me to keep priorities to the church and to what you're doing. And let me let me make that a priority, even though it doesn't seem natural, even though there's 15 other things I could make a priority. I could be sending the kids out to do this activity, that activity. But no, I'm reserving the priority of this because this is of eternal importance. Oh, Lord, help us to have that. We pray that the Lord would do that work, just like Paul was praying, that that would happen there. And thirdly, finally, we are stronger because of our workers. See, they became an example to the other believers, even radiating out from their own church. Hey, look, that church can be strong. That church can have programming that builds one another up. Look, that church can sing their praise. Look, 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 we can do it too. It's that sense of, look, they're, they're, they're being faithful in their marriage. Look, they're raising teenagers that are, are, are loving the Lord. And uh, in, for all I can see, they're living a godly life, even in school. And, and they're not two-faced or hypocritical. And wow, and they, they're, they're even kind. And, and a few of them are mannerly. And, and, it, and it says, wow, it can be done. Yes, we can, we can help one another. We can encourage one another toward that goal. We're stronger because of the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope that God is producing in us, right? It really can be done. You can be that example. The right example at the right time in the right place makes all the difference. My family had family devotions every night of my life, right? Okay, I grew up in the kind of home my dad worked for the railroad. He was just a railroad guy, you know, just a regular old everyday railroad guy. But every night, we picked up our family Bible, and we read it, and we prayed together on our knees. And, okay, that was a good example. And I was encouraged in church and Sunday school and youth group. I was encouraged to have my own personal time of reading God's Word and praying, and I got I got reinforcement, not only from my family example, but from the church that I went to, the youth group I was a part of. I got reinforcement, reinforcement, reinforcement. Do you know what the thing that really cinched it for me, that made me pick up my own Bible and start reading it for myself, was I watched my older sister do it. Ten years older than me. And I would walk by her room, and there she'd be, reading her Bible. And I'm thinking... Yes, I'm going to get my Bible. Yeah. Now, I had, I had multiple layers influencing me to pick up my Bible. Multiple layers. But the right time, right place, the right person, it was at that moment, I'm going to go pick up my Bible. And then I'm going to go pick it up again the second day and the third day and the fourth day. And I had help. I had somebody I watched do it. That became formative for me because it was in my own personal reading of God's Word that God called me to ministry and worked in my life. and it Formative for me. Why? 
An example, input, multiple place, multiple layers, yes. And so it can't just be one thing, generally speaking. It's multiple fronts. And so that's why you want your kid to have as many points of contact with God's Word as you can possibly formulate to happen. As many as possible. It works that way. So our next steps, our church anniversary question of the day. It's this. How does God's faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to him match up? How does that work? Okay. Um, uh, the Barnot Report of 2020. Um, uh, the... Five trends defining Americans' relationship to churches. Uh, the state of the church, 2020, year-long study of churches, and all, says that today's church is weaker than ever. There, there's a summary. Weaker than ever. Attendance, giving, you know, every marker that they go down through. Fewer and fewer people who are actually loyal to their church and who give and who do this and pray and in the day, day. all of the things that, you know, all of the markers. I don't even know how many. The, 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 here's the big picture: we're sick in America. God's not sick. God's been faithful. Where's the problem? <laughs> because He is faithful, we should be faithful to Him. So, let's ask the questions. Will your example of faithfulness help others walk with Christ this coming year? Will, will, will it? Will our church be stronger as a result of your help this coming year? Your, your participation, your ownership, are you all in or barely in? There's a big difference. Will you make Christ's church a real priority this coming year? Uh, here's the way J.I. Packer put it. I like the way Packer puts a lot of things. <laughs> here's the way J.I. Packer put this, this combination of God's faithfulness and the church's usefulness. He put it this way. God's method of sanctification is neither activism, self-reliant activity, nor apathy, God-reliant passivity, but God-dependent effort. I'm going to say it one more time for you. God's method of sanctification is neither activism of, in other words, self-reliant activity, busy, 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 nor is it apathy, oh, God-reliant Passivity. God's going to do it. God's faithful. God, God, God's going to build his church. God's going to. God reliant passivity. That's not it, Packer says. But what is it? It is God dependent effort. Your work, your labor, your striving. Those are Bible words. But not in you, not in yourself, not in your own effort. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, motivated because of His faithfulness, His mercy, His love, His gift of grace to us. That, uh, you know, we, we could get this right. <laughs> Praise the Lord for people in past generations that have gotten it right. 
The question is, who's going to be right in 2021 if the Lord tarries is coming? Will the church still be here in 2022 if the Lord tarries is coming? Who will be the faithful ones in reliance and dependence upon his faithfulness? The church is made up of those who give a profession of faith in Christ as their Savior and identify with him in believer's baptism and taking communion. Okay, that's the church. People who profess to be saved, who publicly declare it in the waters of believer's baptism, and who actively participate at the Lord's table remembering him and then living out the essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ, walking worthy of the Lord. Christ invites you to be saved today and be a public follower of him. Public. That means baptism. That means at work. It means at home. That means in every one of those places. Public. And so let's rededicate ourselves to reaching people in salvation and to living out our sanctification with God-reliant effort for him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Those who are preparing for baptism this morning, you can begin to make ready. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We've asked you to speak to us from your word today. And I pray that we'd be open, our ears would be open to the truth of it. And in hearing it, we would be responsive. If there's anyone here, Lord, who's never been saved, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. The day that they would respond to you in that invitation to come. In the quietness of this moment, that today, right now, some who, having never been saved, would repent of their sin and believe on you for their salvation, Lord Jesus. And then for the church, those who are saved, may we be public in our identification with you, in our regular meeting together, taking communion as the church is ought to to do. May we be faithful to you in that regard, not hit or miss, not barely in, but all in. We give ourselves afresh and anew to that. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? There's a hymn book right there in front of you. And you'll need the hymn to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's hymn number 43. Let's sing a few verses together.